Uh, Ann Friedman was the uh, main art dealer for a gallery in New York City called Nodler's, and she had a woman walk in one day with uh, a very believable, understandable story about how her father or ex-husband, I can't remember exactly all the details, but had acquired all these, these artworks throughout his life, and now he was dead, and so she was wanting to sell them off. And Anne, who was one of the nationwide experts in art, began auctioning off these uh, pieces of art for millions of dollars. And as she did that, over a period of years, evidence began to come in that they were fake. And Anne insisted they were real. And more evidence came in, and her friends in the art world started talking to her, and she doubled down. I'm right. These are real. They are genuine. Until the evidence became irrefutable, and she ended up losing her job, and the art, the, the gallery, which was one of the more older, respected ones in New York, had to close, and, and uh, there's a movie about it called Made You Look, and in it, they quote this uh, book called The Confidence Game, and The writer of the confidence game says this, if you've really believed a con, if you really believed it, as the evidence comes in against you, you are more likely to double down. It's psychologically easier to to maintain your perception of the world rather than to take the the evidence that no longer matches it. It is psychologically easier to double down and insist on something that the evidence says is wrong than it is to change what you've already believed and and put your reputation on. That's a scary thing. Um, It would be easier. I I wish, you know, the the psychologist had just said that Anne's strange and weird and different, and she has a mental illness, but we don't have to worry about that. But instead, she says, no, we all have that tendency. We all have this tendency to assume that we are right about things that we've believed for a long time. Um, I, I use that to open up because this week, this month, we're talking about why people have left the church, and we're kind of been zeroing in on this week is the week that we're going to listen to, not, not necessarily speak to, I'll do a little bit of that, but, but primarily listen to the claims of those who call themselves ex-evangelical, uh, people who are leaving. Now, this is a group that's in the millions by now, people who have grown up in evangelical churches and left, and most of the articles that are written about them don't take them seriously. Uh, call them, uh, you know, irresponsible children who are just rebelling or they just want to go off and have sex and so they want to abandon the church. And, and I, want to listen, I want you to listen to what one of them says. She is a chaplain. Her name is Caitlin Stout. And she wrote, A friend asked the other day what percentage of people I went to youth group with who deconstructed and what percentage remained evangelical. As I thought about it, I realized that for the most part, It was the kids who took their faith the most seriously who eventually walked away. Those of us who tearfully promised that we would follow Jesus anywhere eventually followed him out the door. We learned exactly what it meant to work out our faith with fear and trembling. 
They told us to read the Bible and take it seriously, and then they mocked us for becoming social justice warriors. The people who took it seriously. I'm not talking about the celebrities, people who are getting you know, millions of likes on Facebook and making tons of money from publicly denouncing their faith. There's a lot of them, too, uh, but I think that has more to do with just the price of fame. Uh, but I'm talking about the people who grew up in the church, who loved it and were hurt by it, and who have left. I think we need to listen to them. And, and I think today is the day to do that, to, to open up ourselves to the possibility that maybe our positions and our traditions and our attitudes, things that we hold dear, are unnecessary, extra-biblical, biblical, and unhealthy. And, and so before we kind of dive into those, those critiques and, and try to respond, I want us to read two passages of Scripture together. Uh, one is, are the words of Jesus. Okay, you can listen to him, right? And the other one is a fascinating account of the Apostle Paul, who is a new apostle on the block, unheard of, who um, confronted the Apostle Peter after 15 years of Peter being the leading disciple, the, the pillar of the church. Uh, the Apostle Paul confronted him. Let's stand and read these words uh, together. First, from Mark chapter 7. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, that's Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Then uh, Galatians from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Cephas is Peter's other name. It's the name that Paul used. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically right along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Thus far, the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of, his glories, like, all of our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. You teach as doctrines of God the, command, the, the traditions of men. Peter, you're not walking in line with the gospel. That's a fascinating uh, rebuke, isn't it? 
He doesn't say you sin. We love this defense, right? Show me in the Bible where it says I can't eat with the Jews. Show me in the Bible where it says I have to uh, eat with Gentiles. I'm going to stop you right there, buddy. What you're doing is not in line with the gospel. You're not walking in step with the gospel. It's a higher calling. It's a higher calling. What, what you're doing, Paul says, is this, you're betraying the truth of Jesus by your actions. The truth of Jesus is that we are all sinners gathered together as one body, loved in him, justified in him. Nobody's more justified than anybody else. You're not ahead of the Gentile sinners. We're all together. We are new creations in Christ. But by... by rejecting this one party by refusing to be associated with them, you're communicating to them that they are less than you. That's not in line with the gospel. You know that. And the evangelicals, I, I think, I, I, you know, don't. I'm not one, obviously. And um, I'm not encouraging you to be one. Um, and I talked to them last week. You can go back and listen to it on tape if you still have one of those. But I do think they're saying some things we need to listen to. We don't need to double down on our cons. We don't need to double down on the things that, that we've always assumed were true. We need to listen to them and ask ourselves, are we living in line with the gospel? Our standard is not that we should keep doing what we've always done. Our standard is the gospel. Is our, are our actions reflecting the truth of it? So let's just kind of go through. I've, I've been polling people. I've been reading uh, ex-evangelicals. And I want to ask ourselves that, that, this question, where are they right? Where do we need to, where, how do we need to repent? And the first thing that is always at the top of everybody's list when you ask why did you leave the church? In one way or another, the answer is the people there weren't nice to me. Now, that comes out in different terms, in different ways. Sometimes it's simple things like they didn't speak to me. Uh, they basically did what Peter's doing here. They made it clear that I didn't really belong there. But in some way or other, they demonstrated hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy is, right? Hypocrisy is acting. It's wearing a huge mask. It comes from the days of the Greek theater when they didn't have, uh, you know, audio equipment, sound equipment. And so to communicate who were the good guys and who were the bad guys, they wore these enormous masks so you could see from the balcony who the bad guys were, who the good guys were. And, and from that, we, we get this word hypocrite, wearing a mask. And, and we need to ask ourselves the question, are we hypocrites? Are we acting like something we're not? And the answer is yes, to some degree. I think you want me to be a little bit, don't you? I mean, I, you know, let's just, let's just be honest. We're going to talk here, okay? This is going to get uncomfortable, but it's going to get better. Do you really want the truth about me? You want to know the truth about me? I got sores in my mouth and they bother me and it really hurts. My back is hurting. You want to know the truth about me? For the last two years, I've been struggling with a depression that's made me want to quit my job every week. You want to know the truth about me? I've gained 20 pounds because I've been dealing with my depression by peanut butter. 
You want to know the truth about me? Every time I think I'm getting better, something else seems to happen. And I feel like I'm hanging on by a very thin thread sometimes. And I'm tired of being sad. You want to know the rest of the truth about me? I believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And I believe that hope is real, even when I don't feel it. And I believe in joy and in peace and in forgiveness and in love. Both of those things are true about me. And yes, when I walk into this church, I choose to project the second one. Because I think that's what you need. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not everything that I want to be. But I'm becoming it. The Holy Spirit is in me, and he is making me better. I believe that. And I can trust him for that. And, and yes, the, the typical road is to cover up and pretend and get angry with anybody who would be an outlier, who might possibly make it obvious that I'm not really what I am. I don't think that's hypocrisy, though. I think it is just struggling with my sin. And I think I'm getting better. Now, I'm not denying there are true hypocrites in the church. And, and if you're not familiar with this body that we call believers, you need to know that Jesus told us there would always be two kinds of people right there together and that you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference between them until they were old and began to mature and produce fruit. And so, yes, there are people who are in the church because it is a powerful place to be. And it makes you feel good to think God is on your side. And everything about them is fake and wrong. And we just don't know who they are until the fruit begins to reveal itself. But that's not who we are. That's not who we are. So, yes, I'm sorry if sometimes when you have gotten too close to me, I'm sorry if the truth has come out and you got the porcupine quills. I wish it weren't real. And I long for the day when those quills are gone. I'm trying, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those I've hurt. I really am. Can't apologize if you won't tell me. But I'm sorry. That's the first thing, the main thing, the primary thing that comes up from people who've left the church. You know, second thing that you hear a lot is, is to talk about celebrity pastors and, and how they, they fall and when they commit sins that we're so much more likely to believe them than we are to believe those who are pointing to their sin. And, and we're, we're likely to, to call the people who are, who are pointing out the failures of these men and women, we're likely to call them slanderers and gossips. And we want to hush them up and, and, and keep these celebrities on a pedestal and, and we completely ignore their sins of pride and vanity and greed. And until it becomes something sexual that we can't uh, cover up, we, we worship them basically. And then once they 
do their sins do become public, we, we wash them away and pretend like they never happened. And that's true. Yeah, we do that. It's always been true. It was true of King David. You remember what Nathan said to King David when he came and confronted him over his sin? He said, you have given occasion for the Gentiles to blaspheme me. And we should have learned from there. (laughs) But we haven't. And we always want champions to kind of project that life that we wish we had. And we need to stop having celebrities. He's not here, so I can talk about him. You know, I have a son who's a great singer, and he's very charismatic. And he would be a great worship leader one day. He probably would be a great worship leader now, but I'm not letting him on this stage. Because I know what being on the stage does to you. It's not safe. If you're popular for being a Christian... It's pretty easy for your fame to go way further than your spiritual gravitas is prepared for. And we need to stop having celebrities. And they hurt people. They really do. And we're sorry. Next, these are going to get harder as they go on. Uh, And probably the number one issue with those who are being public beyond just the things that personally happen to them. Uh, Christianity Today kind of put this under the broad topic of the things we do to women. It's true. We've made, by and large, the evangelical community has created an image of what the ideal woman looks like. And she is married by the time she's 22, and she has four kids by the time she's 30, and she stays home and dedicates every minute to those kids, and she loves it. And she meets her husband's sexual needs however he wants them to be met, and she loves it. Is that you? And, and in doing that, and projecting that image, what we have done is we have hurt, we've badly hurt people who have been, uh, who are single, people who don't have children or are unable to have children, and people who get terribly depressed and sad when they're at home all day with their kids. And they don't, they're, they're having the life that they thought was going to make them so happy, and is not. Now, some of you have that life, and it makes you happy, and I am delighted for that. I'm I'm very thankful for that, but it's not the biblical image of the ideal woman. It's not. The, the, The Proverbs 31 woman works. She has a job. Women, tons of women throughout the Bible have jobs. And some of them are single, and some of them are married, and some of them have children, and some of them don't. And some of them are more sexually active than, or sexually whatever than their husbands and some of them aren't and some of them don't like it at all and some of them have been hurt sexually in their past and it's difficult and all of these people have been made these sweet sisters in Christ have been made to feel less than less than what they were 
they ought to feel. They've been made to feel imperfect in Christ. Some have been uh, ostracized for their divorces when they're divorcing people who needed to be divorced. We have treated them with shame, made them feel ashamed and like failures. And we've implied by our actions, and this this is a hard one, Um, okay, let's just talk. It's undeniable that the Bible has roles, and they're different for men and women. We can't deny that. Those roles, I believe, are, are linked into, are locked into, rooted in the Trinity. Whether the Son is 100% equal with the Father and you are not a Christian if you deny that. He is not in any way subordinate. He is not, he's voluntarily subordinated himself, but he is not in any way less than. He is not in any way. And instead of linking our, what the Bible says about the, the headship of men in the house, in the family, and in the church, in, in that, in that voluntary submission, we have locked it into creation somehow so that we believe, we project, whether you believe it or not, we have projected that women were not as, we're not equal. We're not as intelligent, we're not as emotionally mature, we're not something. We yeah. have. And we were wrong. And we need to repent of that. Period. I'm sorry. I'm learning. As somebody who achieved the stature of four foot eight by the end of junior high, I know how it feels to be made subordinate and to be dismissed. As someone who went to Vanderbilt University with airbrush t shirts and a redneck accent that I never have lost. I know how it feels to be dismissed. And I know that some of you sisters have felt that on an infinitely higher degree, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Closely linked to that is, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, is a purity culture that absolutely 100% dealt with all kinds of sexual sin with shame and guilt and a shame and guilt that has overwhelmed people. They, They received a heaping dose of it as teenagers and they have never been able to fully get out from under that so that even as adults their uh, intimate lives are crippled by the shame and guilt and we kind of made um you know, sexual sin into the one sin, the unforgivable sin. We shouldn't have done that. It was hard. We were scared. I was a youth minister, and I did this one. Now, I, some of these things I'm kind of apologizing for as a representative of the greater evangelical church, but I flat did this one. And to everybody who was one of my former students, I'm sorry. I was scared. It's not good to pastor people out of fear. And if I made you feel ashamed or made you feel 
like you were a bad person because of the uh, desires for intimacy that you had. I am sorry. Next one that uh, comes up in, in testimony after testimony of why people have left the evangelical church is that they feel like evangelicals have confused political power and cultural influence with the calling of Christ. And because, uh, again, because white men are basically uh, the most powerful people in culture, we've kind of been more worried about maintaining that position of power than we are about elevating the weak and the poor and the outcast and the marginalized. And and so you see uh, accusations that are... Launched. You see these kind of accusations a lot. You know, evangelicals care more about their politicians than they do about the poor, and um, you care more about winning elections than you do about um, feeding the homeless. Um, That was hard because there's some truth to it, but let me tell you why I think it's true. It's just easier to win an election. It's easier. And it's easier to feel like you're really doing something to change the culture when you're winning an election. What's hard is elevating the poor. It's hard. And we've tried. And we found it hard. And we just kind of gravitate toward what's easier. And that was wrong. We shouldn't. And we shouldn't care about what's going on in the headlines nearly as much as we care about the, that invisible grace that goes in to, to tell people that you are important and to tell them that Jesus Christ has died for you and, and you have hope in the resurrection. Uh, he is raised for you and you are new in life. That's, that, that's, that's where we ought to be and we know that. Uh, but it's difficult. I mean, we had, I had a guy come live with me a few years ago. One person you know, he, he, he was out of prison, and he showed up with all the tattoos, and we, I mean, we just threw ourselves into helping him, and it took everything that I had, you know, and, and uh, Glenn Sr. would come by the house every morning at 7.30 to drive him to work, because his work was all the way in Owasso, and gas was $4 a gallon, and, uh, and, and go back out and pick him up every day, and, and, and just group, family after family after family in the church had to join in for one person, and you know, it failed pretty much. He ended up going back to jail, going back to his former life, going back to jail. And I think, I actually think the Lord's reached him and is blessing him now and is elevating him now. But it, it was just so difficult for one person. It's hard. Uh, very closely related, that's the issue of racism. And the evangelical church is often uh, condemned for not caring about it or not doing anything about it. And while it is absolutely true that we have failed to discipline and excommunicate people in our midst for the racism, which we should, I don't know a single case where that's happened, but we should, because it is definitely living a life that is out of line with the gospel. But... For the, I, I don't think that by any, by any stretch is the majority of, of believers in the church. I think most of us just kind of feel overwhelmed by the problem. Like I, 
you know, I think every one of us, we, if we could flip a switch and erase 300 years of racial just evil, we would flip it. But we're overwhelmed by the problem. And it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to address a school system that has been broken, absolutely broken 50 years ago uh, by the way we tried to deal with, deseg- with segregation. And if I could flip a switch and fix that, I would. Um, but maybe we don't talk about it enough. It's true. Another big issue that comes up is the treatment of people who are sexually dysfunctional or non-normative. And it's true that people who struggle with their gender or with their sexuality make most uh, the typical evangelical very uncomfortable. And we talked about this last week, our tendency to treat them as enemies, and that's wrong. And for victims of sexual abuse, I, I just... I, I will definitely say as a young minister, I didn't deal with that well. I just didn't know what to do. And I was caught flat-footed and ignorant in my innocence and naivete. Victim shaming, I don't think I went that far, but some have. I'm sorry. I really am. And again, if I've hurt you, I'm desperately sorry. And I think there's, you know, the, the, the question as we listen to the accusations of evangelicals and, 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 and frankly have to nod our heads and go, you know, that one's 100% right or 90% right or 63%, wherever you're comfortable with. I think, I think there's different, you know, there's different ways we have to respond. And one way to respond is to write them off as silly. And young people who are just rebelling. And I don't think that's fair or wise. I don't think that's, I think that's what Peter could have done with Paul. I'm the head apostle. I don't have to listen to you. But I don't think he did. And, and I think for us who admit that we're at least wrong on some of these things, that what we have to do is, is do exactly what James tells us to do. We weep and we mourn and we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and we trust him to lift us up. And we're not going to defend ourselves. We're not going to double down on on the ways that we've acted and the things that we've said and the things we didn't say when we should have. We're just going to say, Father, forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we're going to ask people to forgive us. And we're going to thank them for showing us the sins that we did not see. And we're going to trust Christ that in him we are new creations. And the old is gone and we can be better than this. And we're going to be better than this. Because the Holy Spirit is real. And he is not abandoning his church. And we're going to trust that. And we're going to be willing to lay that stuff down and be made new. And we're going to be willing to die to all that power and be made new so that we can humbly come alongside instead of ruling from the top.
And now to my ex-evangelical brothers and sisters, I just say this. At some point, you have to stop defining yourself by what you're not. You're not evangelical. Okay, we get it. And we're not saying come back to the church that hurt you. I wouldn't say that. But I am saying please come be part of Christ's church somewhere and show us how to do it better. We're willing to listen. And the invitation is for all. Don't, you don't want to live this life of bitterness and anger and die in that rage. You don't want to let your anger ruin you. I'm asking you, humble yourself and you'll be exalted. There's a different way. There's a different way than just getting angry and feeding that anger every day. The way of forgiveness is hard. And I'm not, again, I don't want you to endanger yourself by going back to abusive places. But we're here on our knees asking the Lord to forgive us, and we would like for you to come be with us and to be beside us. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we all need to lay our self-righteousness down. It's hard. What you're making us into is so much more beautiful than what we've been. And we pray that you would make us new. Father, we long for the day when we are one thing. We're not two different things fighting it out to see who's going to show his face today, but we are one thing. We are the very image of your glorified Son. And we pray that you would we would believe you when you say the way, to, the way to that is the way down. It's the humbling yourselves in the sight of the Lord and trusting you to exalt us. And Father, we want to do that. Would you enable us to do that? Would you receive us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat and talk a little bit, and then we'll be done. So, um, man, I'm glad that's over. All right. I'm going to do it again. It won't be as good next time. Y'all know this first sermon is always the best. You get the fresh one. They get the leftovers. All right, I only have a few questions today. Love you too. Uh, All right, in light of your comment about the hardness of serving the poor, what is the way forward for ROPC to press into these challenges? How are we seeking to combat our tendency to gravitate toward what is easy? Um, I mean, part of it's just we're going to keep stumbling forward together and messing up and doing it wrong, and we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep trying. Um, we do rely on people who know what they're doing, and so uh, two of the two ministries that we support uh, probably the most aggressively of any of our ministries um, of any of our missions, actually the three, I just thought of another one. Uh, one is uh, City of Hope, which is a ministry to the homeless here in town. And, and it's just need-based, honestly. I, I think, I go back and forth about it, but ultimately I think they're being biblical. Um, they're not necessarily, they don't put qualifications on getting their help. If you need something, we're going to give it to you. And I think that's 
the way Jesus would have us to do it. And uh, I love that ministry. Uh, another one is crossover, uh, crossover Community Impact, which is a ministry that's really dedicated itself to, um, to one particular community in North Tulsa and elevating it. Uh, with a, and, and, and in some ways, they're a shining example both of great ministry to the poor and of how hard it is. I mean, several of the most gifted people I know, including two families from our church that I miss desperately, um, are just dedicating their entire lives to it. Uh, but it's a great ministry. I'm very thankful for it. And then uh, ministering to the poor in an international sense uh, through Compassionate uh, International, which is a good time to remind you that Compassion Sunday is only three weeks away. So, and, and we are well, you are welcome to come help and lead with that if you want to come up with something new. I won't say no. So, all right, as gospel-believing Christians, how then do we live in a world where the church appears to be divided and confused about what doctrines to hold on to? For example, many mainstream Christian churches believe different things about gender, sexuality, the role of women, etc. Um, I can't control what other people do. We're going to, we are going to do what we think the Bible commands us to do, and we're going to do it as hard as we can, as good as we can. And we might be wrong, you know, uh, make it to heaven and look around. It's just filled with liberal Episcopalians. And I think, dang it. <laughs> and it may not be, you know, we may not get to heaven at all. And it'd be nothing but other denominations that said we weren't going to go. Uh, but we're going, we're going I, I just, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that callously. Um, and I, I want to listen to what other people are saying and evaluate it against the Bible and against history and against um, our, our particular denomination's brand. But uh, at, the, at the end of the day, I can't be paralyzed or obsessed by what other people think or do. And that goes both for other churches and for people outside the church. The Apostle Paul said it very well. Can you imagine that? That was a dumb thing to say. In 1 Corinthians 5, he said, uh, what, have I, what have I to do with unbelievers? It's just not my concern. Um, what am I, and, and that's not necessarily fair one-for-one one transition to other, you know, churches, but it kind of is. I just can't, I can't obsess about what other churches are doing. I just have to do what I believe the Lord's calling. We have to be what we believe the Lord is calling ourselves to do. Just like this sermon, right? I mean, it's not like I have any position to apologize for the entirety of American evangelicalism. I don't think I have that. I don't think that you know, every church in the country is going to look at the sermon and go, yeah, what he said. You know, but we just have to do what we do. And that's the way to mental health, by the way. You've personally been vulnerable and honest this morning. I need somebody to read these for me. Thank you. I'm a practical person and would like to know from you, the elders' perspective, what we as ROPC church community need to acknowledge, confess, and change, if anything. And how can we overcome it together, improve on living out the gospel to the outside community? I, I think everything that I, you know, brought up um, is, is worthy of consideration on, on those things. And, and we are trying to figure it out. And it's hard because we all have our own stuff, right? And um, so, I mean, I, that whole list, I, I wasn't kind of trying to do that just as my personal diary. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the women's roles is something we're... Uh, we're, we're pushing towards with a new kind of 
not new, but a, an enhanced vision of the women's care team and, and trying to do ministry well there and, uh, and supporting the, the ministries to the poor that we've already talked about. Um, and, and those are just things we need to be serious about and do. So, so. How do we approach those who double down with criticism exposed? Um, gosh, I don't know. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't read the question well. How do you recommend we approach our brothers and sisters who double down with these kinds of criticisms uh, posed by ex-evangelicals who defend themselves rather than listening? I think if the last two years has convinced me of anything, it's that you can't convince anybody else of anything. Um, and honestly, I've just kind of quit trying, completely quit trying. Um, I, I think if it's somebody you know who's like, number one rule of ministry for me is I don't answer any question that's not being asked. And so for me to kind of go and to publicly go, I'm going to change everyone's mind today, you know, uh, Give me Facebook. You're all dumb. Yeah, that doesn't work. And so don't do that. And please don't do that if you're a known member of our church. Um, but, uh, you know, someone comes to me and says, you know, do you think these evangelicals have any good points? Or if someone comes to me and says, you know, help me with such and such, I'll talk your ear off. But if, you're, if they're just kind of, you know, spouting forth their wisdom on the golf course, I just let them. Um, maybe that's cowardice. I don't know. I, I'm not good at confrontation. Um, I usually wait until it's way too late and then blow up and everybody's really happy I did. <sighs> For those who are deeply hurting and hiding, what can church do? What can hurting people do? Um, I think we make ourselves vulnerable. I try to do that. We make ourselves into as, as receptive of a place as possible. We don't victim shame. We don't tell them, Let's, you know, you need to get over that by now. And, and we as a church, uh, you know, have ministries available. Uh, we, we have a ministry called Plumline that we support. We send a lot of people to. Um, I, I will say this. If you're hurting, take responsibility for your mental health. Don't just assume that you're going to get better one day. Sometimes that works, I, I guess. But it hadn't for me. I, I, th- I, I needed somebody to talk through uh, my life with, someone with wisdom who could actually not just go, mm, that sounds bad, but actually talk back and give me some steps. And uh, I want to encourage you to find that as well. And we will help you. Um, and if it's something beyond what we think Plumline can do, we... Um, we'll be glad to, to recommend resources and help pay for those as well. So, last one. <laughs> How do we keep from falling into despair? It's a great question. How do we keep from falling into to despair about all the church failings that leads to inaction and moving forward in hope? And, I, and that's, that's the reason why we come together to worship every week, to remind ourselves that we do not worship a dead God, but a living God who is alive in the church and who has promised us um, that ultimately he's going to make all things right. His kingdom's going to come. And we, we, we would never believe that on our own. If you think that you can separate yourself from everybody else in the world who believes in the resurrection and maintain your faith in the resurrection, I'm just going to tell you, 
you won't. You need to be surrounded by people who also believe it. And that's a great segue into next week we're going to start a series on Revelation, uh, looking at the, the different pictures of Jesus in that book, uh, which I hope will be very hopeful for us all. Please stand for the benediction.